Amen. We thank you. Amen. We thank you and praise you, Lord, that you are our God, both now and forever. You won't be our God one day. You'll never cease to be our God. You've always, you always are. You always will be. And we thank you and praise you for that. We ask we go to your word right now. It's our heart to just hear from your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to every man and woman that's here. Lord, less of me, more of you, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Good to see you this morning. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. We continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. I want to tell you, it's been great. I haven't been able to be over there as much as I would like, but I was able to spend some time over there yesterday with the guys and the gals that were working on the building, and it's just a blessing. Made me makes me think in the Bible where God calls for all the artisans to come together, and he, you know, and I'm not one of those people. I'm the I'm the guy that the artisans tell what to do because I don't know how to do anything. But you know what? There's place for all of us, and many hands make light labor, and it's a blessing, and it's just a time of fellowship. And never had so much fun, you know, wheelbarrowing sheetrock around, but it was great. I mean, it really was. It was a blessing. It was a get-to, not a have-to, that's for sure. Really a joy, and it's just going to be awesome to watch uh, the whole thing come together and then watch what God's going to do there. I know He's going to do great and awesome things. Amen? All right. We've been looking through 1 John again for quite a while, and uh, as we've been going through it, we see that one of the main emphasis of this letter is love. And John is known as the Apostle of Love. And at the same time, while we're seeing love, we're seeing some exhortation and some pretty straightforward and direct, you know, doctrine and just some heavy-duty words coming from the apostle of love. Because what we need to see, and we're going to see again this morning, is that love does not take away holiness or a call to be obedient. Amen? So many in the world today say, you know, God is love, but what they really mean is love is God. You know, as long as you love, it's all good. As long as you just love her, or as long as you love each other, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. And you've got to understand, in the times of John, the Gnostics were teaching that very thing. Gnostics means knowledge, and they thought, you know, that they had a special word from God, and their word told them they could live any way they wanted, and as long as they believed in their spirit, it didn't matter what they did in their flesh. Boy, that would be a real popular religion today, wouldn't it? You know what? You can go to heaven and live like the devil your whole life. Just pray a prayer, walk an aisle, and then whatever else you do, because your flesh is wicked anyway, go for it, because it doesn't matter. But you know what, guys? Let me say it for the thousandth time. It is so true. He's not a no-fun, bummer God who's trying to keep you from having a good time. He's your loving Heavenly Father who wrote this book to keep you from heartache and harm. Amen? That's the God that we serve. He's not, he's not trying to keep us from having fun. He knows playing on the freeway means you'll get hit by a bus at some point. So last two weeks ago, last week we looked at the Easter message. So two weeks ago, we looked at true love, what God's definition of love really is. Let me encourage you to grab that tape. They're always free. This morning, if you're a note taker, we're going to talk about the fruit of abiding love. The fruit of abiding love. We're going to have three points. First of all, the fruit of abiding love, it allows the lost world to see God in us. How heavy does that make you feel? That you represent Jesus Christ. And I represent Jesus Christ on this planet. Isn't that heavy? You think about that and you think, oh, I'm not doing such a good job. But you know what? Praise God for His grace. Amen. And we represent him even in our frailties. We represent our desperate need for him. But we're going to see in this morning's text that when we're abiding in his love, we'll talk about what abiding means, but when we're abiding in his love, we represent the Lord to a lost world. Number two, it produces evidence of, of, of transformed lives. When we are walking in the abiding love of Christ, when we're abiding, we're standing by, we're grafted in, we're holding on to him, then there'll be evidence of that in our life. It'll produce three, I put down three evidences of genuine Christianity, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, boldness to confess Jesus, and then abiding in love, which is where we get the title of the message this morning. And then finally, the fruit of abiding love, it removes our fear and replaces it with boldness. Who could use a little of that this morning? You know what, Lord? 
Get rid of the fear and replace it instead with boldness. So let's begin in verse 12 of 1 John chapter 4. The fruit of abiding love. It allows the lost world to see God in us. Now here's what it says. And this verse may be one that we're going to read it and you're going to say, well, wait a minute. And we're going to deal with the wait a minute, okay? Look what it says here. No one has seen God at any time. Wait a minute. Isn't Jesus God? What's the answer? Absolutely. Have people seen Jesus? Of course they have. What's the reference here? The reference here is to God the Father. And no one has seen God the Father at any time. Well, wait, wait a minute. But I thought in the book of Exodus that it talks about Moses seeing God in two different places in a sense. Talks about him seeing God and then later talks about him being hid in the cleft of the rock and remember his glory passing by. You'll notice that there, and it's important, we'll go through it in a moment, but whenever you see God in the Old Testament, you can rest assured that virtually every time and in every way, it's a Christophany. It is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ. Do you know that he always has been and he always will be? Amen? He wasn't just created in Bethlehem. He took on humanity in Bethlehem, but he's always been God and he always will be God. And in the Old Testament, we'll go through these verses in a moment, because I know some in past have asked questions about these verses. So, what about people that claim they went to heaven and saw God the Father? What do you think? Not so much. Amen? But, but yeah, but it was just so real. Well, quit eating chili dogs before you go to bed. I don't know what else to tell you. Here's the reality. The Word of God says no man has seen God at any time. What do you think that means? No man has seen God at any time. The Word of God is always right. That's why we can't elevate our experience above the truth of God's Word. Now, does God speak to us through experience? Yes. Does God, are there still visions today? Yes, I believe there are, without question. But, if you say you want, I had a woman who went for years would tell me, yeah, but I went up and I, had a, I saw God the Father again. And I would say, no, you didn't. No, yes, I did. I'm telling you. No, you're wrong. And guys, when we have to pick between the Word of God and our experience, the Word of God is always right. Amen? So, some claim to see the Father. The best, it's their own imagination. At the worst, they're lying. And you've got to remember, at the time, the Gnostics said they had special visions. And they had had special revelations coming from God. So in context, John is dealing with the lies of those who said they had a special word from God. No one has seen God at any time. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible. Now we don't have time to go into this really too deep, but when we get to heaven, what will God the Father look like Or will we even be able to really see him? Here's my answer. I don't know. I don't know. No, I know we'll be able to have intimate fellowship with him. And it may be that then, but I I don't know. We have pictures of him in the book of Revelation, but it talks about, you know, stones and the the brightness of the color and and it talks about the elders around him and Do I really understand what God... No. But you know what that tells me? He's far greater than we can even put into words. Amen? We're going to get to heaven and we'll understand. And, you know, some of you might say, well, I believe we'll see. Well, I hope. I don't know. But whatever it is, it's going to be great. Amen? Because that's the God that we serve. John 4, 24, Jesus declared of God the Father, God is spirit meaning that God the Father had no tangible body which could be seen. So knowing that God the Father is invisible, again, should make us even more humble in our relationship with Him. God the Father is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. Now, aren't there descriptions of God the Father? Let me just read a couple real quick, and then we'll get back to the text. It says in Exodus 24, you can read it later, Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel, and there he was under his feet. It was paved work of sapphire stone. It was like the very heavens in its clarity. 
But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and they drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up on the mountain and be there, and I will give you the tablets of stone. Now, some would say that and say, look, the Bible contradicts itself. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time, and here he went up and he saw God on Mount Sinai. Who do you think that is? It's Je- if you were listening earlier, you would have known the answer. It's Jesus Christ, amen? Often in the Old Testament, remember Daniel chapter 3. And the fourth one in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who was in there? The fourth one in the likeness of the Son of God. And who was that? Jesus Christ. Guys, we could even go back and talk about the burning bush. Who was that? Could be a manifestation. Again, I am that I am. Now, no man has seen God at any time. God can manifest himself any way that he wants to, but the word of God never contradicts himself. No description of God was given in Exodus 24 there except the word about what was under his feet. A paved work of sapphire stone. It was like the very heavens in its frailties. Now how do I know that's Jesus? How do I know? Well, you go to Acts chapter 7 and Stephen before the Jewish council refers to the one who appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai as the angel of the Lord. The word angel there means messenger and there are numerous times throughout the Old Testament that that refers to Jesus Christ. So it's Jesus, amen? That's who it is. Now, you get to Exodus 33 and he wants to see the glory of God. Moses does. And God tells him, look, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and you're gonna, I'm going to pass by you and I'm going to remove my hand and you can see my backside. The word backside there literally can mean afterglow. You're going to see the glow that's left after I pass by. Now how powerful was the glow that was left after he passed by? When Moses came down from the mountain after seeing the glow that was left after he passed by, Moses was glowing. Remember, he had to put a veil over his face. He was shining. He was shining so bright that the people were afraid of him. Guys, just catching the backside of his passing glory makes you glow in the dark. How great is the God that we serve? Amen? No man has seen God at any time. Reference to God the Father. So how is God revealed to man? If we have not seen God the Father, how do men and women come to know the God of the Bible? How do we come to know Him? Well, the answer is that He reveals Himself in different ways. The main way, of course, is through His Son. We'll talk about that as we move on through the text. But guess what? Not only through the Son, but guess who else He uses to reveal Himself? Us. And again, that's a heavy-duty thing to think about. That God would use you and me to be salt and light to a lost and a dying world, to represent Him. Well, He is God, and He can manifest Himself any way He wants to. And again, I know when we get to heaven, it's going to be awesome because we're going to enter into fellowship with Him. But... I have no idea what it's going to be like. I just know it's going to be great. You know, it's interesting. When you get to John chapter 3, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. Are we going to see the Holy Spirit in heaven? I don't know. Do you? I don't know. The Holy Spirit manifests himself many ways, right? He descended upon Jesus like what? A dove. Tongues of fire, right? Holy Spirit's manifested in different ways. But you've got to remember that when Jesus was describing the Spirit to Nicodemus, he basically, a paraphrase, said you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. How do we see the Holy Spirit today? In the effects he has on the lives of people. Amen? So how do we reveal God? No man has seen God at any time, so how do people come to know God. They look at Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what the Father's like? Look at the Son. Amen? And He's not kind of like Him, somewhat like Him. He is Him. Do you understand that? There's one God in three persons. Look at Jesus, and you've seen the Father. But guys, we today 
have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And God is using us to reach out to the world around us. We know that Jesus was made manifest and that He is the one who is the ultimate picture. We saw it back in 1 John chapter 1. I was going to read it. But it testifies of who the Father is. Now look what it says in the rest of verse 12. So no one has seen God at any time. But then it says this. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. This is the greatest evidence of God's presence and work among us, his agape love flowing out of us on the world around us. You know, I think it's heartbreaking to see so many Christians who walk around bitter, angry. Isn't that how we're portrayed by the world? Now, some of that is just playing the enemy, trying to cap on Christianity, but some of it's been earned. Amen? Some people who claim to be Christians walk around angry, screaming at people that they're going to fry in hell. That's pretty effective, isn't it? Real good witnessing tool. Go stand in the corner and scream at people. You're going to fry. See how many people get saved. It's kindness that leads them to repentance. Amen? We need to be manifesting the love of God because we serve the God of love. Amen? Guys, we're going to, in a little while... Remember the greatest act of love in all of human history. Our God is a God of love and grace and mercy. And we should not portray Him as a God of anger and bitterness and vengefulness. He is a God of holy judgment, as we will talk about. But everything He does, He does in love. So the greatest evidence of God's presence and work among us is that agape love flowing out of us. Now, that agape, agape, we've talked about this so many times, but if you're new, real quick, Agape, there's three different main words in the Bible. There's actually five or six, but three main words in the Bible for love. We talked about this two weeks ago in detail, but you have the word eros, where you get the word erotic. It is a self-centered, physical love. You have the word phileo, where you get the word Philadelphia. It is a brotherly or a friendship love. And then you have the word agape, which is a selfless, others-centered love. And here's the thing. Agape love originates only with God. So if you do not know God, you cannot have agape love. So if you are in a relationship with somebody that doesn't know God, do not be surprised when they do not manifest agape love because it's impossible. Because God is the author of it. Amen? So, he says that this is the way that we represent Him. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You cannot bear love. You cannot produce love if you don't know the originator of it. The originator of agape. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 22, and the fruit of the Spirit is agape. So the world can't see the Father but it can see him through the Son and then in our behavior as we have agape love for one another. That agape love in us and through us is evidence of the presence of God in us. Now some people think the greatest presence of God's work is power. Now, I will say this. In Acts chapter 2, the word there is dunamis. You shall receive When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. Where we get the word dynamite or dynamic. And certainly one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is the power or the boldness to witness. Some people think the greatest evidence of God's presence is popularity. You better read the Bible again. Some people think the greatest evidence of God's presence is a passionate feeling. We already said it, your feelings will lie. But the greatest evidence of God's presence and work is love. Where God is presence and working, there is love. Sometimes Jesus seemed weak and lacking in power, but he was always full of love. Sometimes Jesus wasn't that popular, but he was always full of love. Sometimes Jesus didn't inspire passionate feelings in people at all, but he was always full of love. Love was the constant greatest evidence of the presence and work of God in Jesus Christ. For God so what? Love the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The word love there is agape. Now notice what it says here. And His love has been perfected in us. Who feels convicted by that? 
No, not me. The word perfected there in the Greek, it can be better translated mature or complete. Guys, we will never be perfect. Amen? But as Christians, we should be maturing and becoming more complete in Him. Amen? And this love is maturing in us. The mature Christian will be marked by love. Again, the true measure of spiritual maturity isn't power or popularity or passionate feelings, but the abiding presence of God's love in our lives and being given out to others. Don't you love hanging out with people who are mature in their faith? And aren't you always blown away by how loving they are? I'm going to embarrass them. I haven't planned on doing it. My dad's one of the most loving people I've ever met in my life. Amen? You can't be around for five minutes. He just loves everybody. Just loving, loving, loving. Amen? But guys, as we mature in our faith, we ought to be more loving, more kind, more gracious, less easily offended. Amen? Someone who's mature in their faith doesn't get bent out of shape very easy. You're shocked when it happens. You know, we can even have a reason to be bent out of shape. It's not God's will for us to respond that way. If we really walk in God's love toward us, it will be evident in our love for one another. And agape love is evidence that God's love abides in us. Is there agape love evident in your life? Do people see it in your life? Lord, help us to continue to grow in that. Amen? The fruit of abiding love. It allows the lost world to see God in us. Number two, it produces evidence of of a transformed life. When we are abiding in His love, we are standing by, hanging on, grafted into Him. A branch is dead if it's not grafted in to the vine. It gets all its life, all its nourishment, all of its source. There's no fruit if it's not grafted in. There's no fruit in us if we're not grafted in. But if we are grafted in, our lives will bear fruit. Look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. The word abide there, it means continue, dwell, remain, stand, tarry, endure, to be present. Does that describe your relationship with the Lord? Are you continuing, dwelling, remaining, standing, tarrying, waiting, enduring, And being present with Him. And notice, I I love this part, because our abiding love in Him is not a one-sided affair. Amen? Let's read it again. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. We abide in Him, but He abides in us. We may fall short on our end, He never falls short on His. Amen? Amen? We're abiding in His love, and He is abiding in us. Our abiding is not a one-sided affair. Just as true that we should abide in Him, it is true that He always abides in us. Jesus said in John 15, 4, Abide in Me, and I in you. The Bible says John 15, If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you. So it's a two-way relationship. We're abiding, we're pressing in, but He desires to press into us. It's His desire that He consume us completely. The only reason it doesn't happen is we get in the way. Amen? Heard it said many times, Jesus said of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said it, so we know it's true. Amen? No one was greater outside of Jesus Himself than John the Baptist. In the history of humanity, that's what Jesus said. And then John the Baptist said this, I must decrease that he might increase. So the greatest man who ever lived, according to Jesus Christ, said there's got to be less of me. So what does that say about us? Amen? Got to be a lot less of us and a lot more of him. You know one of the ways that you abide in Christ? It's by spending time in his word. You want to abide in him? You want to press into him? You want to get to know him? Spend time in his word. So we're going to see in the next few verses three evidences of this genuine Christianity that pours out of someone who's abiding in the love of God, who's pressing in, who's standing, who's tarrying, who's being present with Him. First of all, 
says, because he has given of us of his spirit. Guys, I know we know this, but we need to hear it again. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. We often think nobody was more blessed than the disciples. And certainly you could probably argue that. They got to walk with Jesus. That's pretty awesome. Amen? I, you know, I think I'd give everything I own for 15 minutes of that. How about you? But here's the point. They were walking with the Lord, but they were always blowing it. And why is that? You know, you think these are not the apostles. These are the B apostles or C apostles or D apostles or something. Because these guys are a mess, right? They'd be walking with Jesus arguing who's greatest. Why don't you look in front of you and then you'll know the answer. And they were constantly like correcting the Lord. Peter correcting Jesus. How stupid is that? Why does that happen? They did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Look, I would love nothing more than to spend five minutes in the presence of our Savior, but can I say this? And I, th- and I believe this with my whole heart. No one's more blessed in all of human history than us. And let me tell you why. We have the completed revelation in our hands. They did not. Amen? They did not have the completed Word of God. They were looking forward to the coming Messiah. They did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them until after Pentecost. Guys, from the moment you were saved, the Spirit of the living God has been living inside of you. There were times when they were with the Lord and times when they were away from Him because He had come in, you know, in, in human flesh and because He had, He was not omnipresent in that time. And so sometimes they're with Him, sometimes they weren't. Guess what? He's always with us. Always. We're blessed, amen? But I ought to grab a hold of us too because that means He's always with us even when we're blowing it. There's a twofold ministry of the Holy Spirit in this context. First, it is the Spirit of God that is the abiding presence of Christ. The presence of the Spirit is how He abides in us. But second, it is the testimony of the Holy Spirit within us that makes it possible for us to know that we abide in Him. So the Holy Spirit abides in us, and then the presence of the Holy Spirit lets us know that we abide in Him. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we have no surety of salvation. Amen? But guess what? We know the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is our down payment on heaven. Read Ephesians chapter 1. We've been sealed and assured by the Holy Spirit. Ownership papers. We belong to Him. We know for sure that we're going to heaven. Paul put it this way in Romans 8. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do we know we're children of God? Because the Holy Spirit bears witness in our lives. Amen? I know for sure I'm going. Not because I'm perfect, I'm far from it. But because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And guess what? It's good that you are convicted over your sin because that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. Amen? Too often we think, man, I'm so convicted. I go, praise God. That means you're saved. That's good stuff. I'd be really worried if you were living this life and you weren't convicted. Amen? Conviction, good. Because the Holy Spirit is God and He won't stand by when you're living an ungodly life without giving you some Holy Spirit head slaps. Amen? That's what He does. Those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. Amen? That's just how it feels to me. I don't know how it feels to you, but that's how it feels. That's why I got no hair back here anymore. See, it all slapped right off of there. But there's three evidences of genuine Christianity. First of all, the Holy Spirit's presence. Number two, boldness to confess that Jesus is the Savior of the world and the Son of God. These are evidences of genuine Christianity. Look at verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. The Spirit of God within us, abiding in us, provides not only a heart filled with selfless agape love, but a boldness to openly proclaim who Jesus is. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Part of our transformation is that we become those who used to walk in fear, but who now walk in boldness. Who used to walk afraid, who now speak up 
about who Jesus Christ is. You know what? If you're in love with somebody, you love talking about them. Amen? If you lo- Don't get around me about, about talking about my grandson. You're just gonna, I'll, I'll wear you out. You know what I mean? Why? Because when you love somebody, you love to talk about them. Amen? Nobody has to force you to do it, twist your arm to make you do it. Do you love the Lord? If you do, talking about Him should be something that is natural, ongoing, and people almost have to walk away to shut you up. Amen? Lord, help us to have that heart. But I want you to notice too, and I love this. He says, we testify that the Father sent the Son. We testify. So he's talking about abiding in love, but notice he doesn't separate love from truth. We abide in love, but we proclaim the truth. Some people think, well, if you abide in love, you don't need to proclaim the truth. That's not true at all. If you're abiding in love, you will proclaim the truth. Amen? If you love people, do you want to see them saved? What's the answer? How can you not share your faith? The reason we don't is we're more worried about what people think than what God thinks. So the Holy Spirit produces both sacrificial love and a bold witness. So the word there, we have seen. Now that, speaking of John the Apostles, they saw Jesus firsthand. The word there, seen, means to perceive, behold, or look closely at. So John had done that physically, but guess what? You and I have seen him in a different way. We've beheld his glory in a different way. Amen? We know him in an intimate and a personal way. I say this with full assurance. I know Jesus Christ better than I know my wife. Better than I know my children. Better than I know anybody. Why? Because I have a more intimate relationship with him than I have with anybody else. Lord, help us to have that. Amen? Because if we have that, we'll be better husbands, better wives, better fathers, better mothers, better employees, better neighbors, better friends, better people, better examples. Amen? But it all starts with intimate fellowship with him. The word testify there is where we get the word martyr. It means to be a witness. A genuine spirit-filled believer has come to know by experience and then boldly proclaims the truth to others and does it with authority. Jesus was sent by the Father to be Savior of the world. The word there, Savior, is deliverer. Does Does this world need a deliverer or what? Amen, amen, and amen. What a mess. Praise God for His grace. Notice it says, though, that He sent the Son as Savior of the few, of the world. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. Amen? I have friends who, we differ in doctrinally, and they'll say things like, well, Pastor Dave, you can't say to someone that Jesus died for you. You'll have to say, if you're one of the chosen or one of the elect, then you can say, I, I disagree with that. He died for all, not all will receive that free gift of salvation. Amen? He offers it universally, it's accepted individually. It originates with Him, but we must respond. Amen? And He's a God of love and grace who desires that none should perish, no, not one. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. Notice that this relationship with God is more than just love in in the way you behave, but it's confession in the way that you proclaim the truth. It isn't enough to believe or even to know the facts about who Jesus is. We must confess the truth. Confess means to be in agreement with, to make a covenant. And it's in the tense in the Greek where it's spoken once and for all with great authority. No doubt in mind. Guys, when you confess Jesus is Lord, when you proclaim him to be God, is there any doubt in your mind? We need to get rid of that, amen? There is no doubt. He's God. What about the people who find things that would disagree with the Bible? I want to make it real clear to you. They're wrong. Amen? And I'm not saying we can't sit down and talk to them and show them where they're wrong, because we can, because the Bible's right. I love the Bible. Doesn't it rock? It is such a great book. I love every page, every jot, every tittle, everything about it. You know what? The people have been trying to prove it wrong for thousands of years, and guess what? It still stands. They can't get rid of the conviction that the Bible brings, so they try to remove the Bible so they won't be convicted. 
The Word of God will endure forever. Amen? And the Word of God is absolutely true. And we need to confess that truth with boldness, that Jesus is the Son of God. The Son of God speaks of His deity. Remember, why did the religious Jews want to stone Him? Because He proclaimed Himself to be the Son of God. And then they said they were going to raise up stones to have Him killed because He made Himself what? Equal with God. When he said, I am the son of God, he's proclaiming himself to be God. Because he is God. Amen? Guys, we need to come to a place where we don't just know about Jesus, but we openly and boldly confess him. He is not a son of God, but the son of God. He's not a way, he's the way. The Jews, again, sought to stone him to shut him up. He's not just the son of God, he's God the son. Amen? That's who he is. He's perfect. He's holy. And only he could die for your sin. Unless you believe that I am, Jesus said, you will die in your sin. The confession of the truth of who Jesus is, is evidence of one in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. If you're abiding in his love, there will be confession of who Jesus is, and it will be something that is a natural part of your walk, a natural part of your life. Amen? Now, could we all be more bold in our faith? What's the answer? Do we all struggle with it at times? Of course. Why? Because we're weak. Amen? But praise God that in our weakness, He is made strong. And praise God that in our frailties, it's not us learning better or being better trained necessarily, though we need to be like the Bereans and study to show ourselves approval. Workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to know the word of God. But at the same time, we need to be desperate for God that He might speak. So the Holy Spirit's presence is one evidence of genuine Christianity. Number two, boldness to confess that Jesus is the Savior of the world and the Son of God. And then thirdly, where we get the title for the message, we abide in love. Verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. This is the Christian's proper response to who God is and how He loves us. We are called to respond to His love by loving Him back. We are called to respond by the greatest act of love in all of human history by surrendering our lives to Him. We're going to see at the end of the chapter here, we love Him because He first loved us. This is our response to Him. He holds out His nail-pierced hands. And universally offers his love, not because of who you are or what you've done or because you deserve it, but because of who he is. People respond to the love of God in different ways. Some respond with a sense of superiority. I'm so great, even God loves me. Right? You ever meet people like that? I have. Some respond with doubt. Can God really love even me? And that seems humble, and that's a good place to start in some cases, but guess what? We need to move past that, because then we're doubting the Word of God, amen? Then we're starting to say, well, God couldn't possibly love me. Wait a minute, He said He loves you. You're calling Him a liar. Don't do that, amen? He said He loves you. He knows everything about you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some respond with wickedness. God loves me so I can do what I want. That was the Gnostics. God wants us to respond by experience and believing the love God has for us. The Christian must know and believe the love God has for us. Not just know in a distance, but believe. There's a response. Have you ever thought about what it would take for God to stop loving you? Paul said this, Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Guys, that's as good a word of encouragement as you're ever going to get. Amen? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you have absolutely been blowing it. Maybe you've just been far away from God. You have been in rebellion. Here's the good news. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He still loves you and He never stopped. We are so used in our human condition to thinking, if I was really good this week, God must love me more. 
All you need to do, at least for me, one of the greatest examples God has taught me is giving me children. And I have four children. And when they're doing great, I love them. And when they're blowing it, I still love them. Amen? I never stop loving them. I don't love them less because they're blowing it. I, don't love them. I can't love them more than I already love them. I can hardly stand it. I love them so much. Love, so, love them so much it hurts. That's my definition. And I think, this is impure me. How about perfect holy God? How much does he love us? Guys, now we can reject his love. You can walk away from his love and not be born again. But guys, here's the truth. He loves you. And he's never going to stop loving you. And he's never going to stop reaching out to you until the day you draw your last breath. It's never too late to get right with God, amen? Maybe you're here this morning and you need to get right with Him. You know, Spurgeon said, to feel God's love is precious, but to believe it when you don't feel it is more noble. You ever feel like God doesn't love you? Your feelings lie, amen? God can use your feelings. I don't want to dismiss them completely. But what I'm saying is, A lot of times people just be overwhelmed and depressed because they let their feelings overrule what the Word of God has already promised. The enemy is the one getting into your feelings sometimes, amen? Whispering in your ear, you're worthless. Okay, Mr. Christian. Okay, Miss Christian. Saw what you just did. How's that working out? Okay, Miss Godly Goody Two Shoes. I saw that. Or in my case, okay, Pastor Dave, right? I'm just being transparent this morning. Isn't the enemy right there when you blow it? Just to remind you day after day. Here's the good news. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? You've seen the bumper sticker. It's a good one. I like it. Next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Amen? You don't have to worry about it. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We're willing not to address Satan. Forget that bumper sticker. We're not to talk to him. Why? Let God take care of him. Amen? But we can be overwhelmed. And we can get into a place where we feel condemned. But praise God that he loves us and his love will never go away. He who abides in love, in love abides in God and God in him. The Christian who has the kind of relationship with God will be immersed in God's love. And it becomes their environment, their place of abiding. Don't you want to just be immersed in the love of God? Don't you just want to dwell there? Guys, we can stay there even if our circumstances change. Amen? Even when the most horrific event around us takes place, God is still a God of love. His hand is still upon you. He will never leave you. He is faithful. So the fruit of abiding love, it allows the lost world to see God in us. Number two, it produces evidence of our transformed lives. First of all, the Holy Spirit's presence in us, the boldness to confess Jesus as both Savior and Son of God, and then we begin to abide in His love. We walk in it. We manifest it to the world around us. And then finally, it removes our fear and replaces it with boldness. It radically changes how we look at the coming judgment. Look at verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. We have been perfected. Love has been perfected among us. Again, perfected in this tense, it literally means perfectly perfected or completely completed. Guys, we've been perfectly perfected. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he did for us. Amen? So we've been perfected. And it says there that agape has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Guys, do you know there's a day of judgment coming? Do you know that? Okay? God is indeed a God of self-sacrificing love, but he's also a God of righteous judgment. And these verses make it clear that God's love is not an excuse for us to live a sinful and disobedient life. Amen? Again, dealing with the Gnostics. The word was going around. Long as you're saved, you can live however you want. If you've truly been saved, you will hate sin. Will you still sin? What's the answer? Yes, you will. You've heard me say it before. You won't be sinless, but you should sin less. Amen? Why? Because now you, you don't, you're not, there's no joy in it. 
Sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end it leads to death. It's no fun, ultimately. These verses make it clear that God's love is not an excuse to live in simple disobedience to His Word, even though Gnostic teaching had taught it. No one need fear judgment. After all, God is a God of love, and a loving God would never judge anyone. You ever heard anybody say that? Well, I don't believe in God, but if there is a God, isn't He supposed to be a God of love? So if there is a God and He's a God of love, I'm a good guy, I'll be fine. I've had that discussion many times. One of the most illogical discussions you could ever have. They don't believe there is a God, but they believe if there is a God, then He's the kind of God they believe that He should be. Right? That's just nonsense. Well, my God, have you heard people say that? Well, my God would never judge anyone. Well, that's true, because your God doesn't exist. Amen? It's just reality. You know, guys, he's a loving God, but he's a just God. Why? Because he's holy. And because he's perfect. And because he's holy and perfect, he cannot have sin in his presence. And because he cannot have, not have sin in his presence. You know, I just had this discussion just recently with a coworker, And we were talking about this very thing. And he's like, now I don't believe in this God of yours. But if there is a God, it just seems like he's playing a game with us. Playing a game with us. Okay, tell me about that. Playing a game with us. Well, he created us according to you with a sin nature. Well, no, actually he created us without a sin nature and we chose to sin. Okay, but I didn't sin. It was Adam and Eve that you believe in, right? Yeah, that's true. So I was born with a sin nature, and then I act according to my nature and sin, and then I have to pay for my sin. That doesn't seem fair. So you're saying if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, you wouldn't have sinned? Is that what you're telling me? Well, so you don't think it's fair? No. You don't think it's fair that you should be punished for your sin? No. Well, who do you think should pay for it? Who do you think should pay for it? How about, how about God paying for it? Yeah, God should pay for it. You know what? He did. Amen? Guys, that's the God we serve. We deserve it. We did it. And God in our, took our place. Bugs him when you say, yeah, well, he did pay for it. You know, they don't like that. In the day of judgment, we'll see the completeness of God's love. You may know you're a sinner now, but if you don't confess, you'll really know on the day of judgment. You may know you're not better in yourself than those who are going to hell, but you'll really know it on the day of judgment. You may know the reality of hell now, but you'll really know it in the day of judgment. You may know the greatness of our Savior's salvation now, but you're really going to know it in the day of judgment. Guys, nothing else is going to matter. Amen? Real quick, you have the great white throne judgment, and we don't have to fear that. And then you have the Bema Seat Judgment. The great white throne judgment is for unbelievers. Unbelievers will stand before Almighty God. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Buddha, bowing to Jesus. Amen? Muhammad, bowing to Jesus. Adolf Hitler, all of them, bowing to Jesus Christ. Amen? But here's the thing, the great white throne judgment, ought to be, you ought to be afraid. Why? Because you've rejected His love. you rejected His grace. you rejected His mercy. you rejected His free gift over and over and over and over. And every person who stands before Him on that day will stand before Him because they've chosen to reject Him and go it their own way. And now He's going to give them the very thing they've asked for their entire life. Judgment is something to be feared if you don't know God. But here's the good news. If you know Him, you have nothing to fear. Amen? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And the judgment that we will go before, the Bema Seat judgment, it was in those days when they had games, and at the end of them, they would give out trophies for how you, how you did in the games. And what's amazing to me is the Bible tells me I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Nothing in me is good. So he sends his son to die. Then he dies in my place. I simply respond in obedience to his free gift of salvation. He fills me with his Holy Spirit. He gives me gifts. And and then by the power of his Holy Spirit, I use those gifts, and then he rewards me. What is that? That's a God of grace. Amen? I don't deserve it. Yet he gives it to me anyway. We may have boldness in the day of judgment 
Because as He is, so we are in the world. We can boldly stand in the day of judgment because we abide in Him and He abides in us. A truth that does not begin in eternity but has begun already. Our identity right now today is bound up in Jesus. Can I say this? I don't like that people are starting to shy away from the term Christian. I don't like that. It's all cool and hip now to be a something else. Have you seen this? I'm not a Christian. I'm a God follower. I'm a this. You know what? I'm a Christian and praise God for it. Don't you want to name the name of Jesus Christ and be identified with him? What's wrong with that? Let's not be ashamed of that. Amen? How blessed we are. As he is, so we are in the world. Why? Because he, remember when he began his public ministry? He came up out of the baptismal waters. God the Father opened up you know, heavens and spoke from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. The Holy Spirit was always with him because he's God. But isn't it awesome that you see the Trinity right there? Guys, the same Holy Spirit that indwelt our Savior indwells us. As he walked in the world in the power of the Holy Spirit, we too, we do as well. Amen? So we're in the world. And we're not God. Don't ever confuse yourself. He dwells in you, but you're not him. Amen? But we stand today righteous, even as we live and walk around in the midst of a sinful world. We are as he was in this world. He was holy in a sinful world. We are holy in a sinful world because we know him. What a great God. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear in love. The completeness of love means we do not cower in fear before God. We don't dread His judgment, either now or in the day of judgment. To totally grasp the depths of His love and the truth of His grace, that we've been redeemed by His blood at Calvary, we know that all the judgment we ever deserve, past, present, and future, was poured out upon our Savior at the cross. And when He was done, He said, To tell us, die, it is finished. It's gone. It's done. We can walk in the joy of the Lord. But notice what it says here. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. And what about the Old Testament verses and the New Testament as well that says we should fear God? The fear, John writes here, is not the reverence we should all have for God, but the kind of fear that involves torment. See that? We don't have a fear of torment. We have an awe and a reverence for Him. Then it says, But he who fears has not been made, perf- has not, not been made perfect in love. If you're here this morning and you're walking around afraid, you need to grow in your love of God. Amen? If you're here this morning and you're nervous and anxious, and, out of, and sometimes people say, fear, anxiety, worry, All the opposite of faith. Amen? Guys, if we truly believe that God is in control, is there anything in this world we need to be afraid of? What's the answer? Absolutely not. Economy, health, children, you know, administration, whatever. Guys, God's in control. And we don't need to be afraid. And I think it really hampers our testimony big time when we say we trust and believe in the sovereignty of God and then things get a little sideways and all of a sudden we walk around afraid. You know what we've done? We've just told the world that our God is no greater than what they believe in. Because guys, if we're standing and walking with Him, it doesn't matter what happens. It blows people away to see us. It doesn't mean that we don't have heartbreak. Kids not walking with God. Heart hurt. That hurts. A loved one is very sick. That hurts. But guys, we grieve, but not as those without hope. Amen? We never lose our hope. We never lose our understanding. We never become fearful. If we've truly grasped salvation, we don't live in fear. We don't live in fear of the great white throne judgment, and we don't live in fear of things that will happen in this life. We can trust God and keep our eyes and our focus on Him. Last verse. We love Him because He first loved us. The word because there is a response word. We didn't initiate this relationship, he did. Amen? We don't earn it. We didn't initiate it. We simply respond to it. 
He loved us while we were yet sinners. And now, as He holds out His arms of love to us, we simply respond. We love Him. We love Him. When was the last time you said that out loud? Can I encourage you that we need to unashamedly talk about how much we love Jesus? Amen? And I don't mean just in church on Sunday morning where everybody else is in the same camp. We can get real quiet when we get outside and face some opposition. Guys, He loves us. Let's not be ashamed to say that we love Him. Every Christian should be unafraid to proclaim their love for the Lord. Every one of us. Amen? I can't imagine someone who has truly been born again being unafraid to say they love the Lord because they're worried about what people will think. Because if you really love Him, you're going to get past that. Amen? Again, we love our families, we love our children, we love pizza. We're not afraid to say that. We ought to love Jesus more than all of that, amen? We should be unashamed of it. You look through the pages of history, you look at some of the people used most mightily by God. And they were tortured for simply saying they love the Lord. Burned at the stake, thrown into dungeons. And all they had to do was deny his name, and they just kept saying, no, I love him, and I'll never deny it. Guys, I pray we would not deny it with our lips, nor with our actions, amen? That we would live in such a way, in response, that out of his incredible love for us, we're going to go to our time of communion in just a moment, we're going to look back to the cross of Calvary, to the greatest act of love in all of human history. Guys, he died for us, may we live for him, amen? He freely laid down his life for us. Agape. May we live a life of agape in reaching out to the world around us and loving him. We love him because he first loves us. He's the source of our agape love. He's the originator of the love that we have. If you meet a loving person, then praise God because it came from him. Amen? He gets all the glory all the time. Let's not touch it. So, in closing... The fruit of abiding love. It allows the lost world to see God in us. Help us, Lord. It produces evidence of a transformed life. Holy Spirit's presence, boldness to confess Jesus as both Savior and Lord. We abide in His love. And it removes the fear and replaces it with boldness. It radically changes how we look at the coming judgment. Guys, for Christians, death has no sting. Amen? For Christians, it's... You've heard me. Moving day to a better neighborhood. Amen? Guys, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Doesn't get any better. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to heaven. Amen? And it's going to be way better than we think. And as we get ready to take communion, one of the things I often think about, you've heard me say this before, is standing before the Lord in heaven and looking back on my life, and I know I'm going to have a lot of things I wish I'd done different. How about you? And I try to put myself there now and look back and say, okay, I still have time to do it different. I still have time to not be quiet about my faith at work. I still have time to live in a way that would bring glory and honor to his name. Lord, help us to live our lives with that perspective. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that, Lord, you're the one who is the author and the originator of love of that agape love. You poured it out upon us. Lord, you reached out to us. You demonstrated it for us at the cross of Calvary. I pray now as we go to this time of communion, the Lord, as we hold the elements, we would take time to look back to the cross of Calvary and remember just that incredible act of love. Lord, not only would we look back, I do pray we would look within, examine our own hearts before you this morning. Lord, that we would not take this unworthily, but we would take the time to really search out our own hearts. Lord, if we need to be confessing to you before we partake of the elements, I pray we would do that. Your word even says if we've offended somebody, that we should leave the elements there and go and make things right before we take of the communion. Lord, it's not in perfection that we take it, but Lord, at the same time, there's areas that we need to make right. Let's make them right. 
May this be a time of really being transparent before you. You already know. May you shine brightly your Holy Spirit upon the areas of our lives that we need to bring a heart of confession this morning. Lord, I pray not only we look back to the cross, look within and examine our own hearts, but we look forward to the day we're going to have this supper with you in heaven. Well, we can't wait. But Lord, may we get a taste of it this morning. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said...